All right. Hello, everybody. Good to see you here at the Legacy Campus. And those of you that are online or at one of our other campuses, um, you know, that song we just heard, um, I'd never heard before. You guys ever heard that song? Uh, and somebody told me it's the theme song of the Gilmore Girls. And I really don't know what that is. So that didn't help me. But if Gilmore Girls aren't already Chase Hookers, let's invite them. I, I don't know if you know them or not, um, because this is a place, come as you are, whoever they are, everybody's welcome. And I'm really glad that you are here and part of it. So uh, today we are starting a new series, or no, we're continuing our series. We started last week called On Target, and it's on this New Testament book called Titus. And Titus was a letter that Paul wrote to one of his team members, one of the people on his team, that he left on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean as they'd started all these churches. And there was a lot of things that weren't done, that weren't put together yet, that weren't on target yet. And so Paul writes a letter to say, hey, these things really have to be on target and let's get these right. And what that tells me is that, that I mean, he didn't list everything because we don't have to get everything right, but there are some things we really do need to get right, that we really need to be on target with in our lives for our lives to flourish. And one of the things I I think is so cool about the book of Titus is these things that he goes through, which are 2000 years old stuff, are just as applicable to us today, if not more so. And today, one more time, we're going to see that as we talk about leadership and choosing the right leaders and becoming the kind of people that are choosable as well. And because everything rises or falls on leadership, really, whether it's a a culture, a country, a a community, a church, a small group, a business, uh, leadership, of course, is a really big deal. And what he is going to apply or what he's going to talk about to leaders, to becoming the kind of person that's choosable, to choosing the right kind of people, is not only applicable to choosing leaders for a church or an organization and that kind of thing, but also how to select key people in our lives in all kinds of ways. Uh, For example, earlier this summer, I was talking to one of our interns uh, that I've known for a long time and and she asked me one of the questions in our that when we were talking that she had was about dating. And she said, how picky should I be when it comes to dating? Now, I've known her for a really long time, I, long enough that I feel kind of protective of her, you know, and I know her par- family really well. I know, you know, and I was thinking if I was her dad, I, I think I know what I'd say. I would say if I would, I would say be really picky. In fact, no guy is good enough for you. Men are evil. Stay away from them. I mean, I might say something like that. That might be a little strong. It's not what I said. I'll tell you what I said. But already I can relate to that some being a dad of a girl. I've never been a dad of a girl. I have two boys, but now I have a granddaughter. She's about to turn one here in just a little bit, Eden. And uh, already I'm feeling kind of Oh, well, not not kind of very protective of her. And I haven't been around her much when other little toddlers have been around little one year olds strolling. But when that happens, I'm going to look at that little dude and say, look, dude, I've got my eyes on you. You treat her well. She's my granddaughter. Uh, right. And, but here's what I told the intern. I just said, you know, you don't need to be picky about everything. But there's some things you really should be picky about because that's a really big deal. When you're looking at it, when you're thinking about a person that may end up being the kind of the person that you've spent your life with. Yeah, you probably should be picky about the right things. And and then I, I talked to her about and just kind of passed on a little 
I don't know what to call it, it's three C's, a little acrostic, I guess, that a mentor passed on to me years ago that has served me well when hiring people, when choosing leaders. And that is, and so I'm going to pass it on to you and it will get us to Titus because Paul is going to focus in on one of these It's three C's. He's going to focus on one of them. But the first C is competency. Then if you're choosing a leader or even just a, a key person in your life, are they generally a competent person? Like if you were choosing a financial planner and they said, hey, look, I know there are stocks and bonds, but can you remind me the difference? You probably need to pick another person, right? Competency is important. Right. So are they competent? The second C is chemistry. If you're going to work with this person, are they or, you know, are, are they the kind of person that that'd be exciting to work with? I mean, just relationally, do you click with them um, like a, a mentor of mine? Another mentor of mine once said the rule he gave me was a three day camping trip. He said, look, if you're if this is a person like you're going to serve with and lead with, if you heard that you were going to go on a three day camping trip with them. Would you pray that God would take you home to heaven right now or would you be excited about it? Right. That's a little chemistry thing. Would they fit the team? Would they fit? Right. That's important. Chemistry. But the most important is what Paul's going to emphasize in Titus one. And that is the third C, which is character. And that is not only the most important of the three, it's also the one that's easiest to cheat. Just ask the Dallas Cowboys. Right. You find a good player. We'll fix them. Right. We'll fix their character. And occasionally that plays out, but often not. Uh, same thing, by the way, it's true in dating. You know, you think, well, person's so great looking and they're, you know, whatever. But and yeah, there's some character red flags, but I'll change them. And that's not going to happen. Um, it, it's like fishing. Right. If you catch a fish and it's not quite ready yet, what do you should, what should you do? Throw them back in the water, right? Because they're not going to grow outside the water. So throw them back in the water and who knows what will happen later. But character is the one you just can't sacrifice. And, and I've made the mistake in the past, distant past, of doing that. Hiring for competency. And Kim, I like the person. They're amazing. It'd be so cool. Yeah, there's some character red flags, but they're just so good. And that's always a bad idea to do that. So, this, so today we're going to talk about character and what that even means. Like when you say that, like what does that mean? Not only when we're selecting someone, but we, when we also become a selectable person, not just choosing, but being choosable. What does it mean to be a person of character? What does it mean to be a person that God can use fully and freely? That we're not a person with character red flags. And we're going to look at these character qualities that Paul's going to list for leaders in applying it to all of our lives as, hey, I want to grow in character. This is the kind of person we all respect, that we all want to be. And as we go through these character qualities, I want you to listen to them and pick one, because all of us can pick at least one that we could do better at, that we can work on. So think about it from that perspective. What is one character quality of these that are listed that, you know, God, I really would love to work on, like between now and the end of the year, be really cool to get better in that area. So I'm going to read the passage in Titus 1, and then we'll talk through those character qualities. Titus 1, 5. Paul says to Titus, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Now, I'm going to stop there just a second because Paul is talking about leaders of the church, local churches throughout. Because what God has chosen to use in the world to do what his work in the world is the church, local churches, as messed up as we can be. That's what God has chosen to use. 
And he tells us a lot about how a church should be healthy and how it could be. And, and when it comes to leaders, he says, appoint elders, plural. And when you look at New Testament churches like Antioch and so in Acts 13, it's always it's a plurality of leaders. And I just going to stop and say that for a minute, because it is possible and pretty common and even pretty easy to build a church around a person or a personality that uh, often has very little accountability. And that's really dangerous and really not healthy. And it's really important for a church to not be built around a person, but a group of people and be led by a plurality of leaders and that and those leaders have accountability. And just so you know, that's the way we're structured. So we have a team of elders, uh, which is a, you could think of it like a board of directors with some spiritual responsibility attached to that. Um, I serve as one of those elders and I'm accountable to them. Um, I also have, we have a a leadership team, a staff team, an executive team that I serve with. We make decisions together uh, at that level. And we also have a teaching team. I'm not the only one who teaches. And that's not because I'm I'm lazy. I don't like to teach every time. It's because I don't think it's healthy to just have one voice speaking in the life of the church. I think it's healthy to have a team of people. So that's why we're structured that way. So when you're thinking of a team of leaders, well, okay, what kind of people do you pick? So he says, an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for him being wild or rebellious. A church leader is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent or dishonest with money. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must, love a dev- he must live a devout and disciplined life. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with a wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. So those are the character qualities. Now, we're going to go through them again. I want you to, as you're listening to these, I want you to think, okay, what is the one that I need to work on the most? You ready for that as we go through them? Here they are. The first one is blameless. Now, we're going to, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. This is a translation in English. So occasionally I'm going to make some observations from the original language, Greek, that has been translated in English. Blameless is not a bad translation, but more literally be like above reproach, as some translations say it. Or another way to say it would be a good reputation, a positive way to say it, a person who is has just a solid reputation that people speak well of this person. And then it goes into family life, which is interesting to me because um, I believe that that family life, marriage and parenting reveals a person's character probably more than anything else. And so he starts with for those who are married, you don't have to be married to be an elder, or be a leader. But for the Paul wasn't and he was an elder in Antioch. Um, there are multiple single elders, but if you are an elder and married, it says husband of one wife. Now we're going to dive into what that means, but notice it says husband, not wife. And all of these are he at the elder level, because in the new Testament church, uh, elders were men who served with their wives, but if they were married, but elders were men. And it was, it's the only role in the church in the new Testament that was that way. So you had women in the New Testament doing all kinds of stuff, uh, being deacons and deaconesses, uh, which is talked about in First Timothy 3 and the qualities for them. Um, today, that would be like our staff, um, our staff pastors and our staff 
people on our are like that in that category. And so we have pastors and pastoresses or girl pastors and guy pastors, right? Uh, you have girl teachers in the New Testament and guy teachers. We have girl teachers and guy teachers. You have, you have just have all this stuff, right? There are prophets and prophetesses and all these things in the New Testament. But the elder one was, was a, a man thing. And, uh, and some people believe, some people say, well, that was the way it was then because they were accommodating to their culture. Um, but over time, uh, the, the flow of the New Testament would suggest that that too would be shared between men and women. So that's an egalitarian view, it's called. And then there are people who are, they have another view. And, and what we do, we elders at Chase Oaks are men who serve with their wives uh, so that we have men and women perspective in it. So men who serve with their wives and the household of God, the family of God. And that's our position. Other churches have slightly different positions. God loves them all. I'm not going to argue about it. Fair enough. So husband of one wife. So the um, husband of one wife literally in the Greek is one woman man. A one woman man. If it's a girl you're looking at, a obviously if they're married, a one man woman, right? And it's talking about sexual purity. Now keep in mind 2,000 years ago in places like Crete in the Roman Empire, Sexual purity was really, really non-existent if you weren't a devoted Christian. What we think of as sexual immorality is, is dictated by the fact that as a culture, we have, we have, we've had a lot of biblical influence in our culture. So when we think of sexual purity or sexual uh, fidelity, that's influenced by biblical stuff. Even though we're de- going away from that, that's, the, that's our starting place still as a culture. But in the Roman world, they had none of that. that they, zero of that. So for them, sexual immorality was not immorality. That was just normal. For example, prostitution in the Roman Empire was as common as you and me going to get ice cream at Brahms or something. It just was... It was just no big deal. There, that was not like a, or there was no scandal to that or anything. If you were wealthy, you actually, that was part of your household, people that you would have for that purpose. That was just part of their life. When you went to the pagan temples, they had temple prostitutes there that you would um, have sex with. So what we think of as sexual immorality was just normal life for them. And so when Paul says, hey, not for these people, these are people who know, who understand that God created sex to be way more profound than that as a soul glue between a man and woman in the context of marriage. And to, as the Bible says, keep the marriage bed pure and be a one woman man or a one man woman to say that right. And, um, and, and to be a person of sexual purity. So that was, so that's, that's one there is okay. That's a person who's made that commitment and who's living that out. And in our culture, it's not like it's common or easy to do that either when you just look at infidelity and pornography and all that kind of stuff right um, another then he talks about parenting and he says you know uh, you know the kids in the home they like that basically it's a spiritual home it's a christian home and, uh, and 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 this person is influencing their home that direction so a person who's a good parent who get, who has who gives every likelihood for that child to grow up to one day follow jesus and respect god we we can't dictate that kids are going to grow up to be adults and they're going to make their own choices. And, you know, we hope that they'll choose to follow Jesus. And that's always great when they do. Sometimes they don't. And but at least a, a, a kind of a parent where it makes it likely in that home that that could happen. Then he goes on to character traits. Now, again, this is where we need to listen to say, oh, which one of these? Now, one of those other two you may need to work on. But which of these do I need to work on? And he's going to give. A series of here's the things not to be or not to choose. 
And here's some things to be first, the not to be's and then the to be's, the not to be's not arrogant. Now, that word in the original language is arrogance, fine, but it's literally not self-focused or not self-willed, not self-directed. It's a person who doesn't put self at the forefront, but puts others at the forefront. A person who sets self aside, sets preferences and comfort aside for the sake of others. A person who doesn't have to be the center of attention, who lifts up others. A person who makes sure others are taken care of, others are focused on. Um, it's like in, when I was in college, my roommate uh, would do this thing on a first date um, to see if there was going to be a second date. He loved Wendy's French fries. So he would go to Wendy's, order a lar- one large fry, put them in the middle of the table and just see what happened. And if his new date just started going, bah, you know, he ate them all, then be like that told him what he needed to know. No more. No second date. You know, that's it. Failed the French fry test. But if they pass the French fry test, then there's going to be a second date as long as they wanted a second date. Well, this kind of person would pass the French fry test. All right. So not self-focused, not quick tempered. And we can all lose our temper. In fact, we all will lose our temper and occasionally do lose our temper. But some people don't occasionally lose their temper. They lose their temper all the time. And it's very just very easy. It's just it's just like it's all right there, ready to come out. And you may be a person like that or you may know a person like that where and when you lose your temper, it's really bad. Right. Because as the Bible says, human anger does not accomplish the purposes of God. In fact, what it does is it really causes a lot of problems because we fly off the handle. We say things that we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. And and it just says hey, a leader at this level needs to be a person who has that kind of temper under control. They're not quick tempered. But that may be something you need to work on. Um, not a heavy drinker. It doesn't say not a drinker, but not a heavy drinker. Um, the Bible is not anti-drinking, but the Bible gives caution, like Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine. It's to, it's to not, drunkenness is a sin. Drinking is not. You can choose to drink or not. There's good reasons to, not to, whatever. But it, it's just this person, this kind of person has that area of life under control. Whether it's alcohol or other substances or whatever, they just they don't uh, they're not a heavy drinker or an abuser, things like that. Not violent. Um, It's actually a pretty good translation. It's not literally it's the word literally is not not a puncher. Um, and, And I think that's physical, but also emotional and verbal. They're not they don't strike out against other people. And in one way, you can see that now, you know, people who are quick to another way, say quick to pick a fight. They're just not quick to pick a fight, but you can find out really quickly who's quick to pick a fight. All you have to do is say just about anything on Facebook. <laughs> you ever notice that? And there's there's just people. It's like, I, I don't know. It's like they're just sitting there waiting, you know, on their phone or something every, you know, just to go. I got him and there, you know, they put out a zinger or whatever. And Paul would say, yeah, that's not that. No, don't don't be quick to pick a fight. Uh, Be quick to try to understand, not quick to pick a fight. Not dishonest with money. How you and I handle money says so much about who we are. First Timothy three, the character qualities emphasize not loving money, but being generous. So generosity is part of this. But here it's not dishonest with money in Titus. Meaning have integrity with money, to handle money well, and, and to be principled. 
Um, and just to give you a little inside thing, picture of our elders, our, our elder board. Um, this, was, uh, this was probably 10 years ago now, but it's just a cool moment. So we had a situation where we got a letter from a group of investors that somebody in our church at the time was basically running a Ponzi scheme. And it defrauded a bunch of money, a bunch of people from a lot of money. Um, but this person had also given, my memory says, it was like 180 something thousand dollars over the course of time. So he was tithing, you know, giving a percentage of income, 10% as a tithe. He was tithing. <laughs> that was good news. That's good. But from a Ponzi scheme, that's not good. All right. So, you know, if you run a Ponzi scheme, probably don't tithe on it. That's not the point. You shouldn't run a Ponzi scheme, right? Not dishonest with money. But anyway, so he, so, but we, I mean, so we don't, this was, had been months ago, right? So we, we get this letter. Now, the money spent a long time ago, you know? So we call our lawyer and in the elder meeting and just say, hey, what, tell us about this. What should we do? And he said, well, you're under no legal obligation to do anything. And if there is a, a, some kind of lawsuit, the chances of you losing that are really low. So you don't have to do anything. And immediately one of the elders asked, well, what's the right thing to do? He said, well, the right thing to do could be giving the money back. And then instantly he said, well, then that's what we're going to do. Decision's already made. It's the right thing. That's what we're committed to do is the right thing. So now it's just figuring out how to find $186,000 and pay these investors back as quickly as we can. Just a good moment, right? And that's the kind of, that's the kind of person you want is a person that says, Okay, what's the right thing? And no matter what it costs, that's what we're going to do. Um, he goes on, must enjoy having guests in their home. Um, that's a very specific way to translate what Paul says in the original language. Because all he does, and it's, I mean, that is true. But in the original language, he just puts two words together. Love and stranger. So it's a, he's a, a stranger lover. Not a strange lover. <laughs> but a stranger lover. And uh, so meaning somebody who's not, who's open. It's not just people who love to hang out with their friends and they have their friends at home. That's really not what he's talking about. He's talking about strangers. Uh, inviting strangers, not only in your home, but in your life and thinking about it's the kind of person now at a church like ours that would say, what about the needs of people who aren't here? Needs of strangers in our community. How are we going to love them? How are we going to reach out to them? Uh, how, how about People who don't go to church, who don't know Jesus, uh, you know, let's do church not just in a way that, you know, it connects with us, but connects with those who are strangers, those who aren't here yet. So a, a lover of strangers. My wife, Christy, is a great example of that, being a stranger lover. Not a strange lover, but a stranger lover. Um, she's just inclusive. And she just loves to, she just includes everybody. You know, anything we want to do, who are we going to invite? Who are we going to, you know, and, and, uh, and so for me, it's like, well, how about just us? You know, but she doesn't think that way, right? She's a stranger lover. Never called her that before. Um, but she is. So anyway, so that's one. Um, live wisely and be just, it says too. But live wisely. And that it, the, both of those things are talking about thinking. Um, it's solid thinking, like we talked about last week. People who are just solid in their thinking. Who don't, like in a world where we so easily go to extremes right now, where people are either like all the way over here or they're all the way over here. This is the kind of person that just tends to avoid those kind of extremes. They're, they just are good thinkers and they're temperate. They're moderate. They don't, 
They don't go crazy either way. They just are able to think through things without going off the handle or without going crazy. Um, and you could see why if leaders in anything, you would want somebody who's level headed and who's able to kind of think through things. Devout. Somebody who's devoted to their faith, devoted to God, devoted to their spirituality. Disciplined is very similar. Somebody who is self-controlled, who controls their emotions, but also who controls their priorities. And who is who are dedicated to certain habits that help them become godlier and help them grow. They're just they're disciplined people. They don't only have great aspirations, but they actually put those aspirations and make them disciplines. And the last one is biblically solid. It says he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Somebody who knows the Bible well enough, who knows theology well enough that they can help other people uh, when they're going off course or encourage people with healthy teaching and that kind of thing. So somebody who is, I mean, certainly a church leader needs to be biblically literate and biblically solid. So you put all those together, you can see the list of what does it mean to be a person of character? Which one of these do I need to grow in? You know, blameless, good parent, not Eric, all those things. And if you look at that list, you might think, wow, that's kind of, uh, that's a lot. Like, that's kind of intimidating. Like, who fits all that? It's like a, a long time ago, I reached out to somebody in, Cal- in California looking, we were looking to hire for a role, a guy that I respect a lot. And he said, well, tell me the qualities that you're looking for. So I did. And he said, oh, that's easy. Um, you're just, you're basically looking for a combination of Jesus and Spider-Man. And that should be easy, should be no problem. The cool thing about that is the person we ended up hiring was Peter Park, uh, our legacy campus pastor, uh, you know, who calls himself Asian Spider-Man, right? Uh, Peter Parker, Peter Park. Uh, so it's kind of cool. It worked out that way. Um, but, you know, so it's not that everybody has to be perfect in, in all these things, but generally, right, there's a level and, and to take seriously. Now, just so you know, we take we take this list very seriously. And first Timothy three also parallels this list of choosing when we choose elders or pastors or key leaders. Uh, we look and here's how we bring on a, a new elder. So when we bring somebody on, we just ask him to say yes to or no to a process, not to coming on our board. And it takes about a year to go through this process. Now, we've, this is people we've already known, and they've already served in our ministry. The only way you can see character is observed over time. And so we've already seen that happen. But then we go through, Gene Getz, who started our church, wrote a book called Measure of a Man, built around these character qualities. So one of the things we do is we go through, uh, not just me and Christy, but another elder couple, go through with these potential elder couples, and if they're married or single, if they're not, and we go through, um, we go through the Measure of a Man. And which focuses on these character qualities. And at the end, um, they do a, an evaluation of themselves and then um, all, uh, based on these qualities. And then people who know them really well do an evaluation. And then other leaders in the church do evaluation. And they either pass through that or not. Sometimes there's a thing. So, you know what? There's some things to work on here. I'm going to give you one of those examples, which is actually written in the book, Measure of a Man, about one of our elders, a guy who did become an elder, but it was a process. His name is Eddie Burford, Eddie Maureen or 
credible people still in our church. He aged out of the elder thing uh, of the elder board, still very faithful in our church. I got to serve with him as an elder. And then when I became lead pastor, he was one of our elders. And I so loved Eddie and Maureen and serving with them. They're just amazing people and uh, were hugely helpful in the life of our church and still are just in different roles. But this is his story. Uh, This is from Gene in Measure of a Man. Those who knew him best called him Mr. Charge Ahead. In his younger days, he was known as Fast Eddie. He knew this trait got him into trouble, especially since he was a good debater, which at times was interpreted as being argumentative, insensitive, and even contentious. Just very type A guy. Before Eddie was selected to be an elder, we followed a standard procedure we have regularly used, we still do, in evaluating whether a man and his wife are qualified for this level of leadership. We ask all of our other elders and their wives and our staff pastors and their wives to fill out an evaluation form on each prospective, prospective candidate and his wife, if married. This form is based on the characters, uh, characteristics outlined by Paul and Timothy and Titus. We ask each person to use a seven-point scale to express his or her degree of satisfaction or dissatisfaction with this person's behavior on the characteristics. For example, the first question reads, how do you evaluate the person's reputation as a Christian? And so on. When Eddie's forms were returned, he was consistently marked down in several areas, one being contentious. His wife, however, had almost perfect scores, a threatening situation for any husband. And I'll say that almost always happens. (laughs) I think every time the wives have fared significantly better than the husband. His wife, however, oh, I just said that, uh, had perfect. As senior pastor, I and one other elder sat down with this man and his wife and shared these responses. Meaning, Eddie didn't make the grade. Frankly, I was nervous. This kind of communication is always difficult, especially when it is someone whom I feel close. Eddie was a real friend. So he's having to explain to him, hey, there's some areas that you need to work on. Just doesn't look like you're ready to be an elder. A wonderful thing happened. Eddie sat and listened quietly. He appeared totally open and non-defensive. He thanked us for our time and candidness and assured us he would think and pray about what we had shared. On the way home, Eddie asked his wife if she agreed with the evaluation. She did. In fact, she told him that she had tried for a long time to tell him the same thing. And the following is Eddie's account of what happened in his words. When Maureen said that she agreed with the evaluation, that I could be contentious, argumentative, and too bold in defending the views I held strongly, I knew that God wanted to get my attention. I also knew deep down that the evaluation was correct. As I asked God for help, he made it clear to me I need to develop the fruit of the spirit. He gave me a plan. I was to get my family to hold me accountable. One evening, I called my family together and asked each one to forgive me for not being gentle and to ask for their help. I explained to them that every time they saw me using my verbal skills to steamroll over them, raise my voice, show anger, or be contentious in any way, they were to put an X on the family calendar in the kitchen. To my dismay, and he was trying to be so good, the next day I got five X's. I considered changing the rules, but I was committed, and my family helped me. What started out as a crushing blow to my Mr. Charge Ahead ego, it turned into a wonderful blessing in my life. I certainly have not arrived at my goal, but I'm on my way. Well, he was teachable, he was open, and he became an elder for decades. And the Eddie that I know, I didn't know Eddie before this happened. Um, I was in the church, but I didn't know him yet. But as I got to know him, the Eddie that I knew, I would describe as meek. 
which is strong and gentle at the same time. I can't imagine Eddie as the story before this. He is so strong, but gentle. Uh, That may be one of the first words I'd use about him is gentle. That's how God can change people when they're open. And that's the opportunity that you and I have is for God to grow us in character. So how does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen right away. It happens over time as we relate to God, as we're in community over time, uh, as we're in God's word over time, as we grow. And I want to let you know about something new at Chase Oaks that is crazy cool as a way to use our phones, use technology that we're on all the time to help us grow in character, to help us grow as a person, as a Christian. And I'm so proud of our team for coming up with this. I've already been using it this week. It's really awesome. I'm going to invite Eric Torrance to come out, who uh, leads our growth areas here at Chase Oaks. Doing an amazing job just to tell us what's going on and introduce us to this new tool. So thanks, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I'm really excited about this, too. I mean, the fact that I walked out holding this thing, I mean, any of us could probably grab our phone at any given minute really quickly, which shows you the power of technology and we know how powerfully that can be to kind of pull us from being the person that we want to be and some of those character traits that that Jeff was sharing about but we also know that this can actually be a tool that can harness connection uh, can help us actually develop some character and some habits and if we can if we can do it right it actually can help us connect together more as a church and so over the last year and a half especially after the here for good uh, project wrapped up where part of that project that a lot of you gave generously to was to help us figure out, hey, how could we harness technology and use it to actually fuel connection and reach out to people and, and just make it a source for some good. And so because of your generosity, a team of us started working on this. And over the course of the year, we came up with something that we think will really help us develop some different habits together as a church that we're really excited to unveil with you uh, this weekend. And so uh, the, the tech guys here told me that it's a bad idea for me to just show my phone like this. Like, that's just not going to work so well. So uh, we put some of the characteristics up on a video. Uh, let's watch that together. Over the past year and a half, a season where connection with others became harder and our routines got disrupted, it became clear to us that we needed new ways to engage with each other as a church and also with God too. That's why we're excited about our brand new Chase Oaks Church mobile app. This app will turn your phone into a spiritual fitness tool and help all of us develop daily habits that are helpful in deepening our relationship with God and others here at Chase Oaks. Here are two specific ways it'll help you do that. First, the app will revolutionize the way we pray for each other as a church. If you have a prayer request, open up the app, and the first thing you'll see is a way to share that request. And you can pray for others too. Secondly, it will help all of us read scripture together as a community. Each day, there will be a short passage to read, and you can actually post a thought or two about what stood out to you or what you found confusing. You'll also be able to see other Chase Oakers' thoughts too. Along with all that, the app is full of resources to help you take next steps in faith, hope, and love. From sermons, discussion questions, articles, and upcoming connection opportunities at the church. So, download the app and make it a routine to open it a few minutes each day as we develop healthy spiritual habits together. You know, Jeff, if there was one 
factor or feature of this that I could just highlight. It, the, the prayer part is actually really cool. In fact, if you were to post a prayer request on there, you log on there tonight, you post a prayer request on there, um, you can know right away that hundreds of people will be able to pray for that. Even the first time that someone prays for you, the prayer request will still stay up for other people to pray for you. But what's cool about that is that actually the first time that someone prays for you, if you enable notifications, it'll notify you to say someone has prayed for you, which is just so cool to know that, hey, in that moment where you're maybe feeling in need, that somebody here sees that need and they're able to pray for, for yeah. you with that, which I think is really cool. And so uh, just a challenge to everybody. If you, um, if you will, go to your app store. You can go to the iTunes store, your Google Play store. You can go to our website um, and find links to all that too and, and download it. We had an old app that's on there. Um, if you have an iPhone, you probably can update it and it will bring up the new app. But a fail safe all around is just to delete the old app and a download the new one and it should set you up well but one thing i'm going to do and i just encourage all of us to do it if we can is just to set a daily reminder in our phone if we're a morning person do it in the morning if you're not a morning person probably don't do it in the morning uh, but just some reminders say hey i'm going to jump in there i'm going to develop this routine i'm going to pray for a few people i'm going to read scripture and i think that'll really grow our character in a powerful way that's awesome yeah thank you so much for your you and your team i mean it's, it's really cool i've been um I've been doing it this week uh, on the prayer thing, praying for people and then, uh, you know, putting my little some thoughts, you know, do devotional that way and put some devotional thoughts in there. Different other people have. It's cool reading, seeing what God's teaching them. And it's really going to help grow. us. So let's thank Eric and his team. Thanks, Jeff. It's really cool. so remember how I told you to think of, you know, as we think of all these character qualities, to think of one that the person you're sitting next to needs to work on. Uh, I'm sorry, you need to work on. Um, get that in your mind because we're going to take that to God in prayer. God loves to empower obedience. He wants to help you grow in whatever area right now that he's maybe whispering into your heart, whispering in your brain. You know what? You could work on that one. You know, that would be really cool if you did. And uh, and so let's let's just take it to God right now in prayer. Let's bow our heads together. Talk to him. And I invite you just in your heart right now, just to speak, just tell God, just say, God, I think between now and the end of the year. I think what you're telling me or what I feel is that I need to grow in this area. And God, would you help me find a buddy that can help me? Somebody that I can reach out to, somebody I can talk to and just say, hey, can we, can you just help me work on this? Give me feedback. Give me help. Give, pray for me. Let me know when I'm doing it and when I'm not doing it. And then God, help me listen to you and that you would do supernatural work, just like what you did in Eddie's life. To take someone from contentious and a little harsh to gentle. God, would you do that in my heart? Father, I thank you that you're patient, but you always prod us to be better, the better version of ourselves. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.